Hear now the word of the Lord. This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. In the first month and the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frame and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burnt fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. And, erected, and he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the meeting of the gate, or the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout their, all, all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, uh, up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire in, was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. And this is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, it's good to see you. Um, good to see you. This is our final sermon in Exodus, and uh, we have come a long way. Uh, we have gone from chapter 1 to chapter the end of chapter 40 now, and so as we approach this in this message, uh, pray with me one more time, please. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this heavenly food that it may nourish us today in ways of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven, amen. Uh, in the passage that was read today, it starts off by saying, in the first month, in the second year, on the first day. So what does that mean? If you have been keeping a calendar, which I'm sure you have, you've been calculating since chapter 12 and then chapter 19 when it says this month is this, you'll see that it's, it's exactly one year after the Exodus, so this day that we're reading about is one full year after the, day, after the Exodus and nine months after Israel's arrival at Sinai. And so we take out the period of when Moses was on the mountain, stayed on the mountain for all this time, and you will see that if you put all this time together, the amount of time they used to erect a tabernacle and build a tabernacle is an amazingly like short amount of time. So there was a lot of skill and a lot of work put into place. And it kind of reminded us or me about where we were or where we came from. Uh, 
It's been 9.5 months since we left our home in 18 Essex. And here we are at the end of Exodus, just as the Israelites were also nine months uh, after in completing uh, the tabernacle. I didn't do this on purpose. I didn't plan it. I was just thinking about it. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, we have been on this series of Exodus for exactly six months, but 25 weeks. We took one week off when I wasn't here on this uh, Exodus series. And so for, about six, for exactly six months, and why do I say this? Why are we saying this? And why is this significant that we start off like this? Because it's significant in the Bible. And in the Bible, they record. And when you record, you remember. And it's important to record because it's important to remember. It is. And I was just talking with a brother and sister of mine and just reminding them of what the Bible was reminding us here today. Do you record? Do you remember what God has done for you in your lives? It's important to record because it's important to remember. But not only you personally, and I, I talked about in the terms of journaling, right? I, I talked about in terms of journaling, but as a church, as a corporate body, a community of Jesus Christ, it's important to record, and it's important to remember. Why? Because as you record and as you remember, we'll see the faithfulness of God all along the way. Every step of the way, we see God has been faithful to us. It's important to remember. When we left um, Paramus, that very week, a school came up to us and said, you can use our facility starting next week, starting this coming Sunday. And during that time, we saw God show his faithfulness through his people that we received when we were able to worship in an auditorium of a high school um, where there was heat, where there was air conditioning, where there was all sorts of amenities that we were able to have. There was a cafeteria right across, basketball courts, about a two-minute walk that we were able to play basketball in. And we saw that there were so many things that we were provided with, and we ought to remember. We ought to record. Remember that. One of the biggest things I remember is the concern I had with our young children, our kids, especially those that were like five and younger. How would they acclimate to this place? How would they feel about um, this place that they've never been to before? And now we're going to call it a temporary home. And now we just see them run around and play. I have videos on my phone that people sent me of, you know, tiny babies that reach up and trying to hit the water fountain. I still have that. And they're like playing with the water fountain. And all these things are recorded so that we remember that God has been good to us. And he has. But should, do we deserve it? Should he have been good to us? Well, according to Exodus, everything they did after, they did not deserve it. Did we deserve it? Aren't we sinners? Aren't we people who take things for granted? Aren't we people that are very short-sighted? Aren't we people who get frustrated so easily, impatient? And just as God took the people out and saved them from this horrific oppression, right when they got thirsty, they were like, I'm thirsty. 
I wish I was back in slavery. Can't believe they said that, but that's what actually happened. And even in the midst of that, God would show his faithfulness all the way to the point where you take a staff and hit a rock and water would come out. And he was so faithful every step of the way. That's why it's important to remember. It's important to record. And I hope that you can do that for your personal life. I hope that you do it for your family life. And it'll be especially important when you run into hard times again, when circumstances won't be as easy again, and you look back and you remember the faithfulness of God and you put your faith and trust in Him who is always consistent. He always saves us. And so all of this happened. It's recorded. What was read today was in amazing detail because we are reminded that God is a God who cares about the details. There are details in your life maybe you don't even think that you should pray about. It's like, I don't know, this is kind of small, not that big of a deal. But you see, God cares about every detail. And what has happened now is in the detail of the instruction, Moses starts to get understand God's character. Even Moses carrying out the, and obeying God's command, he is detailed with such incredible detail that you're reading it and you're like, there's so much detail here. And so Moses did everything that the Lord commanded him. How do we know? It says so in the Bible. How many times? Seven times it says so. So remember, uh, throughout the instruction that God gave Moses, it said the Lord said or the Lord commanded seven times. And now it says Moses did everything that the Lord commanded him. How many times? Seven times. So there is a response to obedience that we can see Clearly here, it says that in seven times and just in this passage, 16, 19, 23, 25, 27, 29, 32, and after the seven times in verse 33, it says, Moses finished the work of um, erecting the tabernacle. But Moses finishing the work after seven times should give us kind of a picture. If we've been paying attention, it echoes back to something. What does it echo back to? It goes back to creation. Echoes back to creation. We saw that the tabernacle echoes back to creation, but also points forward to something. But something really interesting happens as we continue to read. After Moses finishes everything, it says in verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. So we got to understand sometimes the nuance of language and what's being written. It says, you know, you can just pass by it. But after Moses finishes all the work, inspects all the work, after the seven times of doing it, it says then. But this word then, there is a, an urgency, an immediacy. It's almost as if God was showing, I'm ready. I'm about to do this. I'm right on this edge. I'm going to pour out my glory. I'm ready. And once he's finished, boom, it hits like that. Because he's ready to bless his people. He's ready and he's wanting to do it. And we see this over and over again. We'll see it continuing, this theme continuing throughout this, uh, this, this final uh, chapter of Exodus. But then it says, the, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of God, the uh, glory of the Lord, filled the tabernacle. And what's more interesting is verse 35. Verse 35 says, Moses was not able to enter. And that's really interesting. Remember, Moses was the guy who used to talk to God face to face. Remember, the, uh, the glory cloud would descend on that outside tent. Do you remember that? 
And then Moses would walk and everybody would stand up and they would prostrate, but Moses would be able to see face to face God. Remember all that? But this time, Moses is not able to go in. So that should first raise alarm. Why does Moses, why isn't Moses able to go in? So you would take a pause here if you are paying attention. There's an immediacy, there's an urgency, there's a desire, a wanting for God to come and fill the tabernacle. And after that, Moses can't even get in because you might be thinking, oh, because the glory is too full. But we realize in the past, the cloud did descend and he was. So you take a pause. And I would also urge you right now to take a pause. Why isn't Moses able to go in? And if you think about it and you read about it and you remember even from the very beginning, I, I think I gave the example of the current uh, movie series, The Avengers, and it took like 10 years in the making and there's all these parts. But this book is also a bun- is, is only the second book of the Torah, which is a five-part series, which is part of a bigger book of series of 66 a book series, which is much more than just 10 years in the making. It's millennia in the making, right? And so if you think about that and you go just after you pause, you'll be like, okay, Moses wasn't able to go in. That's really interesting. And you just read the first verse of the very next book in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. Do we have that? Uh, It says this, the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when anyone brings you an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. And when you think about it, in the very next chapter, so just like two, three verses right after Moses is able to go in. Why is that? And something that we need to understand is that the Lord is the one that calls and invites even if you wanted to do it, like I want to believe God so badly, what we have to understand is the Lord that has invited you, opened up your understanding so that when you read the Bible, it's not just like something boring anymore. It's like, oh, these are just really old words. But there's an understanding that opens. God is the one that has invited you to this understanding. God is the one that's opening up your mind and spirit even this very moment to understand the word. And so Moses can't just go in on his own accord. It's through the invitation of the Lord that we can go in. And this brings us back all the way to the beginning theme that we saw in Exodus. What was the beginning theme? So the beginning theme was there was great oppression, great sadness, genocide, one of the worst things that can happen in humanity. And the Pharaoh ordered the murder of babies. What we, even in our culture, but all throughout culture and history, treasure. We treasure new life, especially a precious life, like a child's life. And so he orders the murder, there's oppression. And then what happens is in the very next chapter after people were crying out, um, Moses is born. But Moses is born in chapter 2. What's his name? Moses, what's that mean? It means drawn out, right? Drawn out. Because they drew him out of the water. Remember, 
she, uh, the mom made a basket, and then he was in the Nile, and Pharaoh's daughter would draw him out. So I was like, you know what? I drew him out. I'm going to call him drawn out, which was Moses, right? And so he's called Moses. And then we see that just as Pharaoh's daughter drew out Moses from water, which would have been death, God also uses Moses, who was drawn out, to draw his people out of oppression, of darkness, of sin. And then when he draws his people out, he also starts drawing them in or towards something. What is he doing? And he leads them through the wilderness for three months, and they get to Mount Sinai. So he draws them into his presence. So when the people cried out from the horrific oppression that they were facing, from the Egyptian empire, God draws Moses out of the water and then draws the people out of Egypt. Basically drawing Moses out of death and then the people out of death and draws them to the presence in the mountain and now draws them also into his glory. What's that mean? He drew them into, the, into, into uh, Mount Sinai, but he would draw them into his glory with the erection or the building of the tabernacle. And so the tabernacle is a taste of God's glory. And but the way God does this is very interesting. It's not the way that you would think, but he does it by drawing us in. The book ends by the tabernacle being complete in its construction and he draws us in and God coming down and filling the tabernacle. How does he do it? If you think about it, you would always think, oh, God is drawing us. He's drawing us. He draws us out and now he's drawing him to himself. But how does he draw us into himself? How does he do it? Complete the tabernacle and God actually descends into the midst of his people. So he draws us in by descending to his people, by becoming coming a part of his people. Just remember that theme and remember all, all of what's going on. So it's amazing how God would descend through a pillar of cloud and fire in the tabernacle and lead his people. And every time the pillar of cloud would get up, the people got up. And wherever it moved, they would move. And now you think, it almost makes you think, man, I wish I had that now. Don't you wish you had that now? Don't you wish... God, where do you want me to go? Boom, cloud's there. I'm going. It's, it's so easy. Why can't it be as simple as that time? So easy, right? But this leading also would go on, not just in Exodus chapter 40 and a few years after. This descending and pillar, the symbol, would go on for centuries. In fact, all the way till Ezekiel chapter 10, when the glory of cloud is uh, lifted. And it's a very sad time. But... Uh, that's, that's how long this lasts. So what you were seeing here and what we're witnessing and what we're reading has, would last for centuries. But this doesn't last forever. Why? Because what we see here and what we read here points us to something. It points us to Christ. And that's the number one thing it points us to. Number one, it points us to Christ. Uh, can we put up John chapter 1, verse 14? John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this word dwelt is the same word as tabernacle. So when people were reading this, they would have been like, oh my, that's really interesting. 
So dwelt and tabernacle is the same word. And then we see here, right in the very next line is, we have seen his glory. Glory as of the Father from the Son and full of grace. So what does the tabernacle point to? It points to God dwelling among his people, but not by some man-made object, but by God himself in Jesus Christ. So remember, Moses wanted to see God's glory, but he couldn't. It's because God did Is it because God didn't want to show his glory? But we don't actually see that. We see God was waiting. He wanted to. He desired to. And he really did want to show Moses' glory. But Moses would have died with the heaviness of God's kavod or his glory. So what does God ultimately do in his great plan? He sends his son, Jesus. Now, this is something, if you grew up in the church, you would have heard a lot and almost becomes, oh, yeah, Jesus. But I hope that you can hear this for the first time anew in your spirit today. God wanted to show us his heaviness. He wants to show us his glory. And it's shown through us in the person of Jesus Christ. That's how glorious Jesus is. He sends his son, Jesus, the fullness of God's glory, where he says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. But I want to show you something here in John chapter 17, verse 24. He goes, Father, in his prayer, he goes, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Here we are reminded again, God also desires for us to see his glory. And he shows us through Jesus Christ. See, what Moses realized was he realized what the real pinnacle of life was. What's the pinnacle of life? Is it to get stuff? Is it to get, like, solutions? You know, you got issues. Instead of God saying, here's a tissue. You know, you got issues. Here's a solution. Here's an answer, Right? Instead of all these things, Moses starts realizing something through his journey. Oh, we're, we're, we're hungry. Here's manna. We're thirsty. Here's water. We're cold. Here's fire. We're hot. Here's clouds. And we, we, he started realizing something. You know, this isn't the, the point of life to get all the needs filled. Like, there's more to life than this, isn't there? And he realizes, like, yeah. Creation is amazing. Getting our needs filled is amazing. And I I really hope that you do. You know, if you're single, you want to get married, I hope that God answers your prayers well. If you're married, want a child, I hope that God gives you a healthy child. If you have a child and you want that child to grow well, I hope the child grows really well in life. And I hope that God is with you every step of the way, fulfilling and blessing and answering. But even if he doesn't, Moses is starting to realize something. He's like, I could get all these things, but is that the pinnacle? Is that the main meaning of life? And he realized, actually, it's not. I can't see that. What is it? And he goes, please, I beg of you, show me your glory. I want to see God. That would be more amazing than anything in creation. You know, creation is amazing. This water the properties of water, the fact that I can drink it and replenish my thirst. 
It's awesome. But I want to know who made this water. I want to know the creator of what's so amazing here that I can enjoy. There's more to this water. Who made it? I want to know him. I want to know God. And so Moses desires it, but we see that God desires it too. God was like, yeah, I want to show you who I am because I love you. You are my people. I chose you for me. And we see this is not just a one-sided relationship. It's not just unrequited love. It's, It's actually both ways. Moses desires it. He realizes, I want to see the glory, the heaviness of the creator. You think the sun is amazing? You think the stars are amazing? I want to know who made these things. And you realize there's no one higher than the creator. And the amazing thing is God also wants to show you who he is. And when we see that, we recognize something. There's something that's recognized. When you really want to see God, and you want to see his glory, you recognize something just as Moses recognized it. And like I said, if you recognize it, give glory to the Father. Give glory to God, because God has now opened your eyes and opened your heart, and you're now starting to see something. You're seeing that even if life brings you to an incredible low, and it can be really bad, it can take you to some really dark places. In fact, in Psalm 23, it talks about the shadow of darkness, evil of death right and this valley this really low low there is no low that is too low from which god cannot rescue you that's what we start to realize there is no low that is too low that god cannot rescue you and start to bring you and draw you out but you also realize some other things you realize that there is no high, higher than where God wants to bring you. Don't you realize that? Isn't that amazing? He doesn't just want to put you on Mount Everest, which is an incredible height that only a few people have achieved. He wants to even bring you up higher to himself, to the creator of what, what you thought was high, beyond your imagination. That's an incredible high. There is no high higher than where God wants to bring you, and that there is no low, low, too low, that God cannot rescue you. And Jesus is saying here, he longs for you to be with him so that he could show you his glory. That's the kind of God that we believe. That's the kind of God whose heart's desire is to bring up his people and draw them up into himself. And we see this amazing thing where God actually descends so that we can ascend. The second thing that the tabernacle points to, it's the church. It's the church. The first thing that the tabernacle pointed to was Jesus Christ. The second thing that the tabernacle points to is the church. Can we put up Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22? And so Paul writes to the letter uh, in Ephesus, The church in Ephesus says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him 
also in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul here is talking about the church. You see how God draws us up, but Christ is also the cornerstone. So we're pretty much held by God, both from above and below. Paul is talking about the church where both Jew and Gentile and all his people are united in Christ, and he's saying that the place where God, uh, where people can meet God, is no longer the temple, or the te- uh, I'm sorry, no longer the tabernacle or the temple that replaced the tabernacle. It's your church now that God has designated. You can take that off now. God has designated to meet him. It's your church. So what's God's address? God's address isn't no longer the tabernacle, Mount Sinai. That's not the address you would write. Or the temple, Jerusalem, Israel. Now God's address is your church in your town, the local church. And in our case, it's CGS. See, if the tabernacle was um, once this incredible architect's model, we are now the tabernacle. And that means everything that we talked about in the tabernacle, that we're a prototype of the new creation that God is building. See, we saw that the ark is where we see God reigns, so the church is where God would reign. Like the table, we are the place where God eats with his people in the communion meal. The church is the table where God eats with his people in the communion meal. Like the lampstand, we are also a place where the gospel and good news shines. Like the lampstand, we should be a place, we are the place where people can find Christ. Like the Torah or the law, the church is the place where the creation is being brought to new order. Like the priest, we can also enter God's holy presence and unbelievers should be able to come to our meeting and say, God is really among you. Just as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 25. And how does this happen? We see the church being ordered in God. So in what we talked about, all comes into play. Everything. Everything that we talked about from when God was talking from Exodus chapter 20, giving, him, giving Moses instruction all the way to the making and all the way to where we read about being generous and what it means. So who are the leaders of the church? The generous are the leaders of the church. Who are the generous of the church? The generous are the leaders of the church. And so we see this kind of take place and we see something amazing happen where the tabernacle, eventually the temple, which was just twice the size of the tabernacle, would eventually point to Jesus. And Jesus is the one that will say, you know what? I am the ultimate manifestation of God's glory. But when I go, I'm going to send you no, but why don't we put that verse up, John chapter 14, verse 16 to 18. So how do we know that the church is now the, uh, the second symbol of what the tabernacle is? In John chapter 14, verse 16 to 18, it says, And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper or counselor to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The word dwell is there again. But Jesus sends his Holy Spirit 
to tabernacle in us, to dwell with us, and we become the tabernacle to house the glory of God. Isn't that amazing? The church. Remember, uh, we, we kind of, in our culture, we tend to take it very um, individualistically, like, you know, oh, the, the body's a temple, which is in the lie. The body's a temple, so I, I better work out and that kind of stuff. But when we say the body's a temple, we also mean that we, the body, is a temple. We, as a local church, a community, we as CGS, we are housing the glory of God. That's what we are doing. And that's why we take it seriously. And that's why Jesus would say, I will not leave you like orphans. I will come to you. I will, and then in Matthew chapter 20, he goes, and I will never leave you. I will, I will <clears throat> be with you forever. And so the people of God are the people that now will house the glory of God. And that's how the world will know that God is present in the world. That is, that's a lot. Maybe I should take like a minute to let it sink in. No, I'm just kidding. I won't do that. But if you think about it, think about it. That's something incredible that we've been given. You know, who are we, though? Who are we? Aren't we the people who just continue to complain through every step of the way? Why isn't this happening? Why isn't this happening? Instead of seeing God as the creator God, always saying, why don't you answer this for me? Treating him like a genie, like he was under our control. So if he doesn't answer this, then you must not be God because you didn't answer my every whim. Aren't we the people that would, instead of erecting the tabernacle, would build an inanimate calf with our, you know, with our own money and start worshiping it, calling the inanimate calf Yahweh? Aren't we the people who were steep in sin, that we were blind, that we couldn't even desire who God is. See, the Israelites that we saw were exactly like you and me, but God would reveal himself to us. And the glorious news that we see here that's pointed to is in through Jesus Christ, we are now changed so that even, yes, we were sinners. And we still struggle. We still have confession, right, of sin. But we now wear Jesus Christ on us. We have his righteousness on us. So, yes, we can be like Moses. We can, because we have been clothed by Jesus Christ. Uh, the glorious news of the story of the exodus of God is that God is present even and sinners like you and me. And God would have this plan, and it would be detailed, and there would be this kind of molding and making of what was to be from what was in the past. He's showing us, man, Eden was good. And I want to show you that I want something good also for you. He points to the past, but also points to the future by bringing us out and up into him. And so we see that, wow, God really is who he says he is. How can God live with us? We sin constantly. You know, when you have a sinful thought in your mind, what we're supposed to do is, like, take it out. You know, how many times do we fail on just that? When we see a sinful thought, and, like, we just start entertaining it. 
you know, yep, that bum. And I'm, I'm using bum, but I'm, I'm sure sometimes we say harsher words, because I do, right? And then we start to entertain it. And then, so how can God do that? How can God be with such a sinful people? And then God reminds us in Exodus chapter 34, and he's the one that he says in his name, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So how can we be God's people? Because God is good. Because God is good. And we see in the tabernacle, this amazing thing take place where we now see that pointed to Jesus, and Jesus now gives us that taste. I really wanted to end the series in this way. How can we be a people that can house the glory of God? How can we do that? And I don't think I could give that summary uh, in two seconds or two sentences. I honestly think that's why it took 40 chapters. And you know what? It didn't even end there. Continues on Leviticus, you know, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so how do we do that? I hope that we see that we then ought to be a church that continues to study God's word together. I hope that God will stir us, stir up in us an excitement to study the Bible. It's really exciting. You know, we could try church our own way. We could be like, why don't we try this program? Why don't we try that program? And I think programs are good. I don't have anything against programs. But if that's the foundation that we set, then I'm saying that's a faulty foundation. It's no different from the world. And we are not, in, we are not of the world, right? We are supposed to be of God. So what's the cornerstone that we read? What's the foundation we should be setting ourselves up on? Isn't it Jesus Christ and the word? And the word is revealed to us in the Bible. So let's go back to it. Let's continue to study the word. And now that we have studied 40 chapters worth of Exodus, I have a question for you. The question I have for you is, what's your part? What's your part to play? Ensuring that you're ensuring the local church is a suitable place, ensuring that CGS is a suitable place for God's glory to be housed in. What's the part that you have to play? And I hope that you can think about it throughout the week before we go on to our next sermon series and we just don't just hop into Matthew, but we can really think about it and pray about it. What is the part that God is calling you to play in being the tabernacle, in being the temple. And so let's pray about that and let's share and let's meet and let's study the word and let's really be a community and a church together, amen? So let's do that, let's pray.